every summer in Chicago. The sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello, and welcome to another very exciting edition of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi. And that's right, the mustache lives to fight another day. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they're playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. And speaking of mustaches, it's Dylan C. Stay on the south side. But first and foremost, when it comes to mustaches, there's only one guy that I think of when it comes to prominent, outstanding mustaches. Of course, I'm talking about Nick Morosky, the Good Guys Talk Back podcast, and the Locked On White Sox podcast, Nick. How we doing, my man? Oh, Vinny, thank you for that intro. I- I'm doing great, buddy. Uh, nice to be talking sacks with you. 100%. I, man, I say it all the time, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You are one of my very favorite people on White Sox Twitter. Just everything about you know the whole bit, it cracks me up. I'm, I'm interested. I think you're very knowledgeable. So honestly, it's it's a pleasure to have you, my man. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's lifelong, man. I'm a third generation Sox fan. Uh, you know, born into it as a lot of Sox fans are, and uh, it's uh, it's just uh, I, I've been doing it for several years now, and it's just fun to, to meet other folks that are just as crazy as I am about the the White Sox. So, uh, cheers, man. Appreciate that. Absolutely. So, when you live and die with the White Sox as much as we do. You get extremely angry at times. You get extremely happy at times. We kind of saw a bit of both over the last two games against the Cleveland Guardians. Um, that game on Monday was just a complete debacle. We don't have to talk about that. What I'm going to ask you is, did their most recent win on Tuesday, following that debacle of a game, make you feel a little better about things? They are 7-1 and one in their last eight. Yeah, it did because, uh, you know, that happens. Monday night happens. Uh, it shouldn't happen too often. Um, during that winning streak, we had outstanding performances from the bullpen, solid defense, and everything just came crumbling late in the game. Um, those types of losses can, you know, can snowball. And uh, that's what I was worried about. I know a lot of fans were worried. How is this team going to respond? And, you know, it's one of those uh, situations where you're glad they played on Tuesday because you can get back into the win column and get back into the positive vibes. There were some great quotes by, you know, G- Giolito. Um, I think uh, Scott Merkin had it on MLB.com going into Tuesday's game. Giolito kind of just said, hey, we didn't even have to say anything to anybody. We got to the uh, stadium. We got into the clubhouse. Everybody looked around and just said, hey, we just got to get back to what we've been doing. We've been playing good baseball in May, and uh, and they they felt it as much as we did as fans. So I thought it was not a must win, but it was one of those types of victories that I think with with the Yankees, you know, looming, you, you had to have that. So you mentioned Giolito. He went seven strong, only gave up the one rung. Of course, it was another bomb from Josh Naylor. That guy's quickly turning into a Naylor of White Sox pitchers, but it's nice to have a guy who can go out there and throw seven strong after a debacle of a loss like that. Do you still see Lucas Giolito as the ace of the staff? I do just because of, I guess, tenureship or the veteran presence. Um, You know, he has, I don't want to say he's seen it all, but compared to our staff, you know, I'm not necessarily putting Keuchel in there because maybe we'll get to him later, but I'm looking at Kopech, Cease, and Giolito. Um, obviously Giolito still coming back uh, from the injury, but that was a great sign on Tuesday. Those are your silver linings is the amount of pitches he threw, how deep he went into the game. He didn't let, you know, the Naylor home run snowball talk about, you know, uh, looking at games, you know, just inning by inning. We've seen Giolito in the past where a big hit like that can turn into several hits and possibly even several runs. He limited at that. He got out of the inning I do. I, I look at what Giolito's doing. 
and uh, what Kopech, I think, is looking to and, and Cease looking at Giolito is Giolito is the guy they're trying to emulate. Now, Cease is doing some amazing things. And Kopech, oh, my goodness. You know, if we could keep this Kopech going throughout the summer, wow, we really have something here. Uh, but, you know, I think it's Giolito is the ace until somebody really knocks him off. And um, I think when Giolito is completely strong, which is going to be soon, um, you know, he's the guy we're going to be continually talking about. Yeah, and if Lance Lynn comes back and he starts to pitch the way he was last season and Kopech and Cease keep it up, and it, if Giolito by the end of the year is considered your fourth best pitcher, that's something, or even your third best pitcher, depending on what Lynn does, I think you got yourself a solid rotation there. So you brought up Dylan Cease. He's on the mound tonight. Um, we're all rocking the mustaches in support of our guy. Um, do you think that this game is probably the biggest start going into his going into the start in his career because last year a common criticism of him was that, yeah, he dominated against some of the poor teams in the American league. But then if he was playing against one of the top teams, he might've not looked quite the same. This is the definition of a top team they're playing against. Yeah. You know, he faced the Yankees twice last year and it didn't go very well, but Dylan Cease is a completely different pitcher this year than he was last year in the year before that. And that's what you love to see is the maturation, the growth. Stone talks about it during the telecast. Um, you know, his presence, his confidence, his command, especially on that 12 to six, you know, breaking ball, he's getting that over for a strike early in, in the count. He's a different pitcher. So why not, you know, say to yourself, this, this game is huge for me as an individual. It's huge for the White Sox to put themselves up against you know, the Yankees, one of the best teams in baseball. Uh, but for Dylan Cease as a pitcher, why not? I, I know it's still early, but call this. You know, you might not have to say it out loud to reporters or go on record or anything, but it's okay to internalize and say, you know what, this is a must win for me. I want to announce my presence. You know, it, you want to get talked about nationally. You want to be in the Cy Young conversation. You got to beat teams like the Yankees. He's already, if you look at the Vegas odds, he's already up there in terms of the Cy Young prices and stuff like that for the betting world. So people are seeing him. But I think a dominant start against the Yankees will really make people think like, oh, this guy's really good. And speaking of really good, uh, you don't go about talking White Sox baseball without mentioning Michael Kopech at least a little bit. If these numbers were to keep up, uh, obviously having an under two ERA is not necessarily going to keep up over the course of a career. But if he keeps up the stuff that he's been putting out there, this could be like a $200 million pitcher, maybe more. Like I, I know that's crazy to think about because he's made, what, five starts so far this season after two year, three years of not making starts. But the sky's the limit for this guy. Do you agree with me? Yeah, the sky is the limit, and, and we don't know what we have yet in, in Kopech. And that's crazy to talk about. Uh, he came over in the fall of 2016. Obviously, everybody knows the story. It, it got the rebuild going, and we've seen glimpses. You know, he's had injuries. There's been other situations uh, with the COVID year. Came out of the bullpen last year, absolutely electric. But he has always said he wanted to be a starter. He wanted to be in the starting rotation, not as a spot starter, but part of the White Sox rotation. And uh, I think every fan, we're all like, okay, that's cool. That, that sounds good. In theory, that's a great idea. That is the plan. We want to see it. And now we're, we've got a sample size. And I'm excited what he's going to give you on Sunday uh, against the Yankees. I think he's still scheduled to start against the Yankees on Sunday. Yep. And I mean, you know, what he did in his previous start, um, he's an emotional guy and he was not getting some calls from the home plate umpire. And one of his last innings, uh, that, that home plate umpire, I think it was Ramos, he missed a call. And Kopech's next pitch was an errant, you know, it, it almost sailed over the catcher's head. And you could see, uh-oh, Here's that Kopech, high energy, emotional. He might start coming unraveled, and he didn't. He settled down, got right back uh, to focus, and struck out the hitter. And that it's it's maturation. And I think it's Kopech, you know, talking to veterans like Giolito, seeing what other guys like Cease, who's been going through it for several years, they're doing. They talk to each other. They have the data. Uh, you got to credit Cats, I'm sure, as well. Uh, but Kopech has unlimited, unbelievable talented talent. We're just starting to see a little bit of what he potentially could be. 
Yeah, that's just so exciting. Uh, the way you break that down, it, it makes me even more excited than I already am after <laughs> thinking about it like in my own brain. So that's good stuff. And in that game on Monday, Gavin Sheets had a just horrid looking error when he dropped the what you would think, as Hawk would say, would be a can of corn. And it would have ended the inning, um, which that speaks to Michael because he came back and struck out the next hitter after Ethan Katz had a conversation with him there. So that was nice to see. But going back to Gavin, um, dropping that ball, and then it was like, okay, they, they really sent down Berger in favor of him. I know he's a lefty. And then he comes out, and he hits a monster home run in that game, and then he hits another one in the game on Tuesday. Both of those home runs probably should have stood up as game winners. Obviously, we know what happened on Monday, but just two huge home runs. What do you think of Gavin and his potential with this team, especially being one of the true lefty hitters on this team, like a non-switch hitting lefty? Yeah, the Sox for a long time have been always trying to find that power hitting left-handed hitter. And uh, it usually tries to happen with a right fielder. They want a right fielder that's also a lefty power hitter. And it hasn't gone their way uh, over the last several years. Uh, my issue with Gavin Sheets is, is not his talent. I think he can hit the ball. You know, he he's starting to figure out what pitchers are doing to him. Uh, he's having this type of you know, the season that Vaughn maybe had a while ago of like, okay, you know, I was drinking from the high fire hose. I'm now studying and learning what these guys are doing. Now I have to adjust as a hitter, his power. You you've seen it this past week. My issue is that, you know, he's being pushed out there to the outfield in, in a situation that, you know, he's not his natural position, you know, and that's, that's the Sox organization. That's a whole nother thread of the conversation. Uh, where he was supposed to play uh, on Wednesday if that game didn't get postponed was first base. And you were going to have angle in right field, which I love. His home run on Tuesday, he was hitting DH. Great. I love Sheets as a DH right now or a spot first baseman. Uh, but to have him out in right field, you know, and Stone was given excuses about, well, it was maybe the lights. And it might have been the lights, but you'd think a seasoned right fielder who maybe has played at that stadium uh, for several opportunities or several years, several games, would have known that those are how the lights are going to be, and this is how I play it this early in the game. Um, hey, credit to Sheets for coming back and, and hitting that home run. Really happy for him because you know he was feeling horrible about himself. Uh, but is he put in a situation to succeed? I don't think so when he's out there in right field, but I am excited for that lefty power bat. I agree. Andrew Vaughn looked okay playing left field. There were times where he didn't. And I think we overrated him in left field just a tad last year. And I'm not taking anything away from him. When Aloy went down last year and he stepped in, he's, he's a baseball player. He's a team guy. I respect the crap out of him. And I respect Sheets for playing right. But are you kind of on the train? It seems like you are. It's probably not a good idea to have first baseman playing the outfield if you can avoid it. It makes us appreciate Jimenez at least a little more, too, because at least he'll catch the routine fly ball. Yeah, you know, the Sox uh, are a team that will sacrifice uh, defense for offense. You know, and they might not come out and say it, but, you know, they're going to continue to have Aloy out there in left field because of his bat, not a, because of his glove. You know, Tim Anderson. Uh, is in the lineup for a lot of different reasons and on this team and for a lot of different reasons. And he's not winning any golden glo gold gloves at shortstop. It's because of his bat and everything else that he can do. Uh, same thing with throwing guys like Sheets and Vaughn out in the outfield. We need their bat in the lineup. The Sox organization is prioritizing the offense. They did not go out and, you know, improve defensively aside from McGuire at the last second uh, heading into the season. Vaughn, though, you know, he he really has a lot of versatility. I, I was pleasantly surprised with what he was able to do in the outfield uh, last year. Um, you know, I don't think that is the long term solution, though. But he he just seemed like he was more comfortable uh, than Sheets right now in his small uh, sample size out there in left field or in right field. Tim Anderson, you brought up not winning any glow gloves anytime soon. I completely agree with that, but he only had 10 errors last year. He's got nine right now and we're halfway through May. So I'm curious if you think that something's just weird with him right now defensively, or if, you know, certain positioning has been the issue that has led to errors. Obviously the numbers suggest based on last year that it's going to come down and he's going to look a little bit more like the Tim Anderson that played. I'm, he certainly wasn't exceptional at, shortstop last year I didn't look at him and go wow at any point 
but he's certainly better than what he's been, I think. Yeah, you know, uh, after that Houston series and uh, a lot of things that happened in 2021, I, I think that the organization looked at how they were positioning defensively and they were trying to do maybe some different things, give some different looks to opponents. And perhaps Tim Anderson is being asked to do things that he wasn't asked to do in previous seasons. And Larusa has used the excuse several times that the reason why, you know, Anderson may be making some of these errors is because he's so athletic. He's getting the baseballs that other players would not be able to get to. He's rushed and then there's, you know, an errant throw or what have you. Um, you know, I think it's OK as a fan or, or, you know, somebody that studies this this team to simply say Tim Anderson is not a plus defender and he might not get better this season to become a plus defender where we're lying and saying, thank goodness, Tim Anderson is at short. Oh my, wow. What, what have we done without him? I think it's okay to say that. Will he, will this continue? I don't think this is going to continue. I think, you know, with the positioning and everything, what they're asking him to do, he'll catch up. Um, he is, we need him. If you look at stretches where Tim Anderson has been out of the lineup and out, uh, you know, of the game and the, the sacks go the way Tim Anderson goes. So when Tim Anderson is, you know, making some errors and things aren't going great for him, you see then, well, I guess that's how the sacks go sometimes, too. Now, when he had those those miscues in Monday's game, he also, you know, had three hits and some critical RBIs. So um, we need his bat. We need his speed. We need his energy. But I'm okay saying, you know what, I mean, he's he's just probably not going to just become this uh, slick, amazing, you know, fielding shortstop. It's okay. But some of the basic stuff, some of these throws to Abreu, that stuff, you know, he's been in the league since 2016. That stuff needs to get cleaned up. Um, I could not agree more. I think he sets <laughs> the tone at the top of the lineup and you need him. You need him at the top, and like I said, we, or like you said, when you have guys like Abreu and uh, Robert, all these guys coming up after him in the starting lineup, you want that guy on base. He had three hits, like you said, and he he produced some RBIs, which is nice. You like to see that from him. But even if he's just the guy scoring runs, I, I think he's so valuable to this team. And I want to touch on the starting rotation just a little bit more. Um, Giolito, Cease, Kopech. Uh, who am I missing that I didn't name? Oh, Lynn, when Lynn comes back. Well, that leaves a fifth spot. And Keiko hasn't really lived up to coming back this year and having a fresh start and all that. Vince Velasquez has been pretty good over the last few games, but it's not like we all have this beaming confidence in him that it's just going to continue all season long. And the minors, Johnny Cueto went 5.1 last night, gave up two runs on three hits, six strikeouts. I think it was one walk. Looked pretty good, but we know the difference between major league hitting and minor league hitting. Does he get a shot if you were in charge? Well, I, I am more excited to see what Cueto can do than than what I think I'm going to get from Keuchel, if that makes sense. Like, I kind of know what I'm going to get from Keuchel. Yes, the Boston outing was impressive, but it was against the Red Sox, okay? Um, you know, what what you're going to see from Keuchel on Saturday against the Yankees, I'm, I'm scared for, but if he turns in a pretty good performance. Well, then I think you have to continue to look at Keuchel. And I say that mainly because he's a left-handed pitcher, you know, and I like to have a little bit of balance. We have none right now and start in our starting pitching, but to get, have a lefty in there is helpful. If you eliminate him, you know, then you're, you're throwing all righties at this point. Um, I don't know if that matters or not for me. I think I like to vary up the looks a little bit, but you know, if your lefty can't get anybody out, you might as well just go with all righties. I really like what I'm seeing from Velasquez. I mean, this is a guy that's improved and we'll see him on Friday night against the Yankees. Um, he's mixed up his pitches. He has better command. Again, it was only two starts, but one of those was against the Angels and they were coming in white hot uh, against our Sox. Um, I, so, you know, I don't I don't know what... I'm willing to give Cueto a shot, of course, and I think a decision has to be made on him relatively soon. Um, Keiko reminds me a lot of John Danks. Uh, if you remember that that end of the John Danks era in 2016, he started 0-4. It was the last year of his contract, like, like we're experiencing kind of with Keiko, and he just didn't have it. He didn't have it anymore, and uh, I'm not saying Keiko doesn't have it, but the, what he throws, 
you know, 80s, high 80s, nipping at the corners. You know, if he misses, you know, that's batting practice stuff. You know, he's not he doesn't have wipeout stuff. And this is the type of league where it is a swing and miss league. Uh, You're starting pitchers. You need to get those whiffs. And Keuchel doesn't have that. So, you know, I, I don't know. At this point, honestly, if you ask me, it's like give Velasquez that spot. Yeah, Velasquez, he he's really impressed me over the last couple of weeks. And Keuchel, you brought up John Danks. That scares me because the last time <laughs> that, that, that happened and then they, they thought they like had a chance to win that year and they went out and traded for James Shields and we know how much of a disaster that was. I don't think Fernando Tatis Jr. is in the White Sox minor league system right now. So not necessarily worried that they're going to trade a guy of that caliber. But at the same time, we didn't know what that guy would become back then. So hopefully they don't overreact when it comes to this and they just use Velasquez. And maybe if a a good trade comes along by the trade deadline, that could work. Do you think we kind of overrated Keuchel's start against Boston, though? Because he was starting to come unraveled in that sixth inning there. And he did give up eight hits. Give up eight hits a lot of the time and you only yield two runs. Sometimes that that's a sign that maybe you got a little lucky with some defensive plays and whatnot. The White Sox aren't the best defensive team either, which I think helps Keiko struggles because he needs contact in order to create outs. I don't know. I think we overrated it just a tad. Yeah. You know, he's a ground ball pitcher and you know, when we're struggling fielding the ball and throwing the ball to have him throw more pitches and give the opposition more outs, And he, you could see the anguish on his face when an error is made, uh, behind him. It happened in Cleveland. Boy, he wears his emotions on his face and he's said it in certain comments. He's not happy uh, with how the defense has been playing behind him. He knows that he as a pitcher is going to thrive only when he gets, uh, you know, lockdown defense. Uh, again, Boston isn't a great team. It's a tough team to play. They've always played us really well. Boston at Fenway is a difficult spot to be at. Um, so, you know, give Keiko credit for being able to, you know, limit the damage. But I, I again, that that start didn't sell me. I didn't all of a sudden say, well, Keiko's back. Uh, you know, I'm back on the Keiko train. You got to kind of understand the situation. At least Robert didn't get off to the best start that we've ever seen him get off to. Then he had the little injury there. He was out for about a series. But then since coming back, he's looked like the Luis Robert that we know he can be. I still think there are more home runs in that tank. Um, I Like the power is just untapped. But outside of that, he's been brilliant. Do you think he could be in the MVP conversation? If not this year, next year, the year after? Like he, we talked about Anderson driving the bus. I think that guy's right there. Oh, definitely. You know, let's let's have this conversation with the understanding that he stays healthy. And uh, if he does, that means he can healthfully, healthfully like track down uh, balls in the outfield, in the alleyway, in the gap and make the plays that we know he can make. That means if he's healthy, he can, uh, you know, be a force on the base paths, which before his injury, I mean, he was leading the league. It was early, but he was leading the league in stolen bases. Um, and if he's healthy, you know, his swing's going to be right. He's not missing games and, you know, he's going to be able to flex the power. And, and you know, once you start seeing hit, him hitting opposite field as Frank Thomas did early in his career when you started to see Frank Thomas go opposite field you knew watch out you know now what are you going to do with this guy because you pitch him away he's going to take the ball to right field you know you pitch him uh, middle in and he's going to go down the line I mean the ball he hit in Fenway uh, I believe it was the Friday night Apple TV game he golfed that thing out. That wasn't even really like in his typical wheelhouse. Uh, he adjusted quickly with his hands. And that's what's dangerous is the is the quick in at bat adjustments that he makes, whether it be feet or hands. Um, you know, he is going to school. He is a smart dude surrounded by a lot of veterans and smart dudes that want to see him succeed. And the, you know, advancements that he has made. Uh, are, are you're seeing it with with the results? It's just man, you got We got to have him stay on the field. My worry, Vinny, is that you know the organization is going to tap him on the shoulder and say, "We need your bat." You know, we need your bat. We also need your glove. But let's maybe we're going to have to limit the stolen base opportunities just because you don't want to see him getting injured. Yeah, and he saved the game against the Cubs by running into their brick wall in center field. <laughs> And there were men on base. The Cubs probably would have taken the lead, and you never know what happens from there. 
they can't allow this guy to get hurt. I agree. No. Like, yeah, maybe make the catch. Try your best not to run in the wall. I know it's so much easier said than done, but I just think the world of this guy. And when I think of running into walls, I think of Eloy Jimenez. Hector Gomez tweeted yesterday that he'll be back in two weeks after the initial diagnosis of it being a six to eight week injury returning from the surgery there. Do you buy it? I, I, Hector Gomez, he's been right. He's been wrong. He confirmed that the White Sox were in on Nelson Cruz last offseason, and then that ever obviously never ended up happening. But he did nail Eloy's contract extension before ever playing an MLB game, so that he got that right. He obviously has some kind of connection to him, but sometimes, I don't know, sometimes he's hard to trust. Yeah, I don't buy it. Um, not not any disrespect to him as a journalist or you know anything. It's just, why would the Sox do that? Why would the Sox rush uh, Jimenez right now? You know, it's it's not even it's it's mid May just about. You know, there's plenty of baseball left. Why try to get him back uh, so quickly? You know, and maybe it's maybe it's four weeks. I don't think it's two weeks. But if they're going to continue to have him out in left field, and you want him to be able to do everything baseball related, um, then I think you're going to have to make sure he can do it all. Uh, comfortably. I mean, they've been very cautious with guys like Robert and with Mankata. Look what they're doing with Vaughn. You know, he's getting a rehab stint, you know, for his hand. Um, I, I just don't see why you would, unless there's information that we don't know about, unless it wasn't as bad as it was, uh, you know, allegedly reported. Um, I, I love the reports of, you know, Jimenez taking batting practice and what Jimenez has said. Um, you know, he, 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 not only his, his abilities, okay. On the baseball field, but just his personality, Vinny, that's what I was so upset about when we were going to lose him. Cause that's what we lost last year is that energy, you know, that, that presence when he sprints out to left field. Absolutely. You've been to games when, you know, he sprints out to left field at the beginning of the game and he's bowing to the folks in the left field bleachers, bowing to this fans down the left field line. Like, he, he loves it. They, and the fans love him. And, and that's what you're missing out. So pump the brakes. Just make sure we're getting him back at 100%. That's the answer I was hoping to hear you say. <laughs> as much as I love this guy and I can't wait till he comes back, I'm going to be you know, flashing my Eloy pom-poms the second he steps back on the field. He's just such a good guy. And inserting that power into the middle of this lineup, Mancada's back, which I'll get your thoughts on him in a second. Um, he – he just provides so much to this team and I just, I love it so much. He, he makes it, they're like such a cool team to me. Like if I was from, I don't know, Kansas, you know, some state that I had to pick a baseball team, they're just fun. They enjoy themselves and Eloy is a big part of that. So beyond Moncada, he returned and he had a really nice play on the first pitch of the game that he returned in, but then he booted the ball in the ninth inning. And that almost, that is one of the reasons the Sox blew that game. A little bit of rust at the major league level, maybe got his first hit though. The on base is always nice. He was third in the MLB in that last year. A lot of people online angry that he doesn't hit a lot of home runs and you know, the power, they still need to see a little more of that from him, but what's your take on him and what he brings to this team? Cause it's probably a very polarizing thing. Yeah, you know, I I can't there I can't remember another player that has had so much pressure on him uh, since joining the organization. You know, when when he came over to the White Sox with Michael Kopech for Chris Sale, essentially, um, and we got the glimpse of Mancada first. You know, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He was going to be the savior. He was the ticket uh, to you know winning to postseason, to the World Series. And because he's not living up to this world that maybe we as fans built in our mind, and hey, you know, ESPN was all over it. There's other publications that were, watch out, this guy's the number one prospect in all of the world. Um, but, you know, he hasn't been doing that. And there's been some health issues, but he doesn't have to be the driving power force, okay? To, you know, the guy we were just talking about, Luis Robert, is going to be your guy. Jimenez, those guys can be 30-30, 40-40 maybe, you know, when they're healthy. Um, so Mankata, you know, and Ozzie Guillen was talking about it in the pregame a couple games ago. Mankata just, you know, he's just, let, let him be him. 
you know, don't try to put the weight of the world on his shoulders. Let him, you know, fit into that lineup, get back. You know, he'll have his doubles. The power swing will come back. A little concerned about the error he made, sure. But if you look at last year, that sample size, he should have been in the gold glove conversation. I love his glove at third base. And we should be lucky as a fan base to have him there at third base. His offense will come along. But it's the expectations that we put on Yohan Mankata. I don't know if they're fair. I don't know, Vinny. I, you tell me if you think that you know he should be doing some of the things that we think he should be doing power numbers. I, I don't know. I mean, he had 25 bombs in 2019, and that was probably his career year. The average was high. The on-base percentage was great. He even received a couple – he was on a couple people's MVP ballots. So, you know, he hasn't been that since. I know he blamed COVID in 2020. I thought last year he was much better than people give him credit for. I mean, he was a four-and-a-half war player in a year that people were just taking a crap all over the guy. And like you said, would you like to see a couple more home runs? Sure, but – he doesn't need to be that guy anymore. If he's the seventh best power hitter on this team, you got a really good, you got a really good power lineup. I mean, Anderson has the potential to hit more home runs than him. I'd like to see Moncada probably have more home runs than Anderson, but you know, if Anderson ended up with more, be zero percent surprised. Robert Abreu, Jimenez, Grandal, Vaughn, even Cheats, all these guys could end up with better overall home run numbers. But like you said, expectations have been everything. I don't need him to be the best player on this team. I need him to be one of the great players on this team. And I think that's what, for the most part, we've gotten so far. Yeah, and stay healthy. You know, that's yeah. obviously the the thing everybody's talking about with the Sox for the last few years. It's just what would, would be great is just to get a full season, a couple full seasons of Mankata, where there isn't disruptions of anything. And, you know, he gets a lot of flack for, you know, the, the grimaces that he gives after legging out a double or – you know, and, and I don't also think uh, fans want more emotion sometimes for him. They want him to be the high mom Aloy or, or Anderson. Well, that's not him. You know, I, I he he wants to, I think, stay behind the scenes, let his performance speak for itself. We just want to see the performance regularly. Yeah. And the same people that get mad at him for grimacing after running out a ground ball or not appreciating his body language because it's not Tim Anderson or Eloy are the same people that get mad at him for like spending his off season making a music video. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it's the same right. group of people like they're just hypocritical. So I love Moncada. I'm happy to have him back. It was almost interesting. He kind of seemed to help his stock a little bit by being hurt because we went into this year thinking he would be the sixth guy. And he comes back, and it's clear that the two spot is perfect for him because Luis Robert loves batting in the four spot, and we initially had him in the two spot. So a lot of criticism has come of TLR of his lineups and his management. What what do you think of the lineup? How would you how would you come up with it? I, I would say you know I I used to get really hot and bothered by some of his lineups, and um, uh, to me sometimes it's more about his bullpen usage and sticking with guys maybe a little too long. I think um, like a lot of managers, he gets hung up on matchups, you know, lefty, righty, righty, lefty kind of thing. The, one of the most confusing things is the way he managed the lineups in Cleveland, I, I think, with Garcia. Putting Garcia in the three spot and then in the two spot, um, I didn't get that. It, it almost felt like to me it was a like a middle finger to the fans and to the critics, like, I don't care what you say. I've been around this game long enough. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So there. And I'm sure that's not the reason, uh, but that was not a good look. I mean, hey, we, we could talk about Garcia for a long time and fans either love him or hate him. You know, there's there's a lot of fans. There's a lot of folks that are in love with Garcia and he provides a lot of value to this White Sox team. You need guys like that. Uh, if you're going to win a championship, but I'm, I don't want to see Garcia in the three spot or even the two spot. Yeah. It sounds like you appreciate Garcia for what he is though. A bench guy, maybe a nine hitter from time to time. I mean, he is Leary legend after all, but outside of Moncada, he might be the most polarizing player on the team. Yeah. You know, I, he is a guy that um, if you can fit in at eight or nine, I, I think the the issue with him is again, like it's not his fault that the White Sox didn't go out and and pay, and pay some premium money for a premium talent at second base. Okay, they they tried to capture something with Harrison, and you know, hey, Harrison, 
I don't think is going to light the, the world on fire offensively, you know, or defensively. He can stay healthy. He's probably an upgrade at second base for maybe what we were dealing with with Hernandez uh, at the end of the season last year. But again, that's not the solution that a lot of fans wanted. Okay, that's not the premium second baseman, maybe the future second baseman. Uh, so the fact that you see Lurie playing second base quite a bit in a lot of different positions because we haven't been able to stay healthy, um, it, it's, a, it's shaking your fist like, ah, here we go, another Garcia day. Well, what else are you going to do uh, with all these injuries? It just so happens that Lurie is the guy that has to fill some of those spots, like with Mendick. Um, the start that Lurie you know, had at the beginning of the year was really unfortunate. Um, when Lurie gets in situations when he's up against one, two pitchers for another team in critical spots in a game, he, he often looks overmatched, you know, and, but that's just, you know, how it goes sometimes when you play a lot, like he had to, uh, because of injuries, you will get overexposed, you know, it happened to him last year, but he, he provides value of course, cause he's so versatile. It's just the everyday stuff and where he was penciled in and hitting by La Russa. Uh, yeah. I had some problems with that. Sure. Is Liam Hendricks, are you worried about him? Is he as bad as he's been? I, the only thing I get worried about is when I read stuff about him tipping his pitches, and I don't know what truth to put in that, but it seems like it might have been an issue last year. It, it seemed, Maybe it popped up a few times this year. If he's not learning from that or he's not able to kind of disguise it or shake it, that could be uh, – that's a serious problem. I think, you know, his fastball – um when he goes after guys, so this is how I view it as a fan sometimes is like he was on a streak during that winning streak. He was, man, he would look untouchable. And in Monday night's game, it, it seemed like he had this in, invincibility and he just went after Naylor and was like, I'm going to beat you with a straight fastball, whether you like it or not. And Naylor said, no, you're not. I can catch up to that. Um, that's when I think sometimes Liam runs into issues. Um, you know, he can sometimes struggle getting his breaking ball where he wants to get it. But when he's on, he is he's untouchable. Who else would you want in that situation? It's it's when he gets beat with the home run and it's often with a straight fastball where it's like you got to spot that better or disguise it because uh, because these guys know what's coming. And the, the two big bombs that Liam gave up that people give him crap for. One was to Byron Buxton, who hits baseballs to Pluto off of everybody. And one was to Josh Naylor, who has three home runs in his last eight at-bats against the White Sox. So, I mean, it's going to happen from time to time. I'm curious, though. Liam, he leads what is usually a really nice bullpen. What did they go? Ten straight innings without yielding a run. Yeah. And, you know, finally they came unraveled at the end of that game. Um, do you like the bullpen as a whole? Do Keiko Velasquez... When someone comes up, Lance Lynn comes back, push somebody out. What's your overall thoughts on the bullpen? Because when they're on, they've been on so far this season. Yeah, I, I really am fortunate to see Lopez leave the game uh, recently with some back issues. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I hopefully everything's okay with him because I actually value him a lot. Um, you know, it as a long relief guy. Uh, I've enjoyed what he's done recently. It seems like he's figured some things out. He had some. Um, electric outings during that little winning streak. Uh, seeing Joe Kelly in a White Sox uniform on Monday, that was one inning of work, but boy, was that fun to watch. His fastball has got a ton of movement. It is uh, zipping all over the place. And I love that he had a comebacker and he just sprinted to first base and he, he took care of business on his own. Like he's just got that energy and personality. Um, you know, every I would say every year, but the last couple of years, you know, coming into the season, there's a lot of like the pen is mightier conversation. Like we've got an all world bullpen. This bullpen is the Harlem Globetrotter of bullpens and bullpen arms are tough, man. It's a short shelf life for arms. You know, you could have a couple great years and then all of a sudden you're gassed in your yesterday's news. Uh, I hope Aaron Bummer can return to form. You know, he worries me. Uh, but guys like Kendall Graveman, uh, what Foster has been doing uh, lately, obviously the addition of Kelly. I, you know, I'm not really worried with Hendricks. I feel like Hendricks, Hendricks you, can't, you can't worry too much about because of his resume. 
And I know that slightly goes against what I just said with a short shelf life, but I don't think that shelf life is over yet or expired for Hendricks. Not at all. I think he's still got a ton left in the tank. He's just too smart of a baseball player with all the codify stuff he does. Um, The bullpen is going to deal with issues uh, basically by us as fans that we hold it to a certain level that it just might not be achievable. And what you saw during that winning streak, I think that's going to happen more times than not. But you're going to have blown games. That's going to happen. You're going to have guys that just they don't have their stuff. Um, it sounds like the Sox are trying to be pretty smart with uh, workload management, especially with Graveman, because they want to get these guys to be, you know, electric towards the end of the season. So I like that the Sox are being smart. So you're going to see interesting matchups sometimes with maybe like Souza coming in to close a game because Sox are trying to be really careful with how they're using pitchers. But I like, I like the depth that they have. It seems like Larusa is happy with the depth that they have. And Larusa is Mr. Bullpen. I mean, that's what he loves is being able to, you know, doctor up a bullpen and have options. What's your overall assessment of Tony Larusa up to this point? Um, I don't feel like we're winning because of Tony Larusa, And I don't necessarily feel like, you know, he's hampering this team as much as people think he is. Um, yeah, you know, there's been some some gaffes here and there for sure. I mean, it happens with all managers. Um, I was more on the, is this the guy that we really want uh, long-term that's going to grow with some of these players? You know, when he came in in the fall of 2020 and you've got these young guys, not that I didn't think he can relate to these young guys, but would he be around, you know, three, four years when this team is really starting to flourish in their championship window, or are we going to have to start the process all over again and have a new manager that gets acclimated with the team? Um, Cause I think it was a three-year deal. So this is year two of the three-year deal. It, I thought it was a surprising move. I, I liked how he managed things last year with all of the injuries. Tough to say, would have no, another manager been able to do that? I, I probably, another experienced manager, would have been able to see the talent on the team and been able to smartly place guys in different positions. But you got to give LaRusa credit, I think, for being able to keep the team above water, uh, wait for our horses and everybody to get back. But, you know, the postseason, Vinny, I mean, he just was outmanaged. I mean, the team was outplayed and he was outmanaged by the Astros. So I think he's hopefully learned from that. I think the Sox organization has made some some changes, but, you know, they, they didn't they didn't spend the money. I think that a lot of fans want him to spend in the correct way. And he's dealing with what he has. Uh, so we'll see when some of these guys come back. Um, you know, it's like, how can you go wrong though, with a team that is healthy and, and like the lineup that you rattled off recently, when you've got healthy Anderson, Mancata, Abreu, Robert Vaughn, um, Jimenez, Jimenez, and then, you know, if Sheets is hitting, you know, how do you, and Grandal, like, how do you kind of go wrong? It's just, it's the management of, I think, you know, off days, pinch hitting opportunities that that's where he gets put under the microscope. Sure, and I'm I'm excited for lineup continuity too. I think that'll help Tony. Lewis yeah, a yeah. Lot. Um, really quick before I let you get out of here, the White Sox, as I mentioned before, seven and one in their last eight, played some really good ball over that stretch outside of the ninth inning of two games ago. It's been mostly really good, held leads, took nice at bats. You need that when you have the best team record-wise in Major League Baseball coming to town in the New York Yankees. A lot of people got on the White Sox last year for having a really good record against the bad AL Central Division and a not-so-great record against the good teams. But really, when you go back and look at their record against the good teams, 3-3 three and three against the Rays, 3-4 and four against the Astros, um, you know, around 500 against most of these good teams, 3-3 three and three against Boston, who was two wins away from the World Series last year. I know they sucked this year, but last year they were pretty good. You know, mostly 500-ish records against those good teams, which is what you need. But that narrative started because they were one in five against the New York Yankees. And the one win was, of course, the Field of Dreams game. What are you expecting from this series? Are you as scared of Aaron Judge as I am? You think Mike Stanton is going to do some damage? I know Anthony Rizzo's on fire. It's just a tough team to play against right now. 
Yeah, it's nice that it's happening, um, you know, on the south side. We're going to see the Yankees uh, in New York later this month. So you got seven games with the Yankees in a short period of time. Um, I think as an organization, you want to put yourself up against the best right now. It's still a little early. And yes, we don't have guys like Vaughn, uh, Lynn, uh, or Jimenez. But I, I think with the guys that the Sox are throwing, starting things off with Cease, I love that. Um, I, I could see a split. You know, I think if you lose, if you get swept, if you lose three, it's going to be pretty dejecting. Uh, it really is, because I, I, I think that despite all the firepower that the uh, Yankees are going to throw at you offensively, White Sox starting pitching has been damn good recently. I mean, it's been holding things together uh, like it had last year in 2021. Um, and again, if you want to try try to put yourself up against, you know, how do I how do I look against the rest of the American league? Go with the best. And this is a good time to do it because Cease is pitching well and Kopech is pitching, pitching well. You're going to have warm weather, uh, which everybody you know always attributes to, well, the ball's going to be flying out. Should be a lot of offense. That means that there's probably going to be a lot of offense for New York as well. Um, I, you know, is, is your season over if you lose three or get swept? Of course not. But I think you got to, you, you have got to play better against good teams to get that confidence going because um, there's going to be some, some tough months coming up and, you know, we're still trailing the twins. So you want to get things back, you know, going in the right direction uh, with Kansas city coming up next week uh, for a bunch of games. Uh, you split with New York uh, or geez, take three out of four. Uh, that is going to be an awesome feeling. You forget all about that brutal Monday loss quickly. Yes. I couldn't agree more. You play the Yankees, they're going to throw Cole in one of the four games. I want to say it's tomorrow. And you'd like to see this lineup succeed against a pitcher like that. I mean, he's one of the very best. You're going to see pitchers like that in the postseason. If you want to win the World Series, you're going to have to face a Scherzer or a DeGrom maybe in a seven-game series. Or if it's the Dodgers, a Bueller, Arias, Kershaw. Like you're going to have to beat these types of guys. And hit, hit for average, hit for power, whatever it may be. The weather's not going to be warm in Chicago in the World Series if they were to make it over the next three or four years, I would say. So I like the premise of taking two out of four from the Yankees. Keuchel and Cease or Kopech and Cease need to be at their best. But is there a specific thing you're looking forward to most with the White Sox in terms of their roster against the Yankees here? You know, specifically, I am looking at what Dylan Cease and Kopech can do. Um, you know, it's one thing to kind of mow down some of the teams that they faced uh, so far this in this early season with their games started, uh, but this is a different story. Um, you know, Cease saw this club last year, as we mentioned, and so if he can study that and flip the script, that's a good sign. Um, you know, there were some nail biters that we lost last year against the Yankees, you know, one run games and in, in those, in those losses, um, you know, hitting with runners in scoring position. I mean, they manufactured some runs during that winning streak that the Sox had that it was great to see, you know, I, this team is not at all yet surviving by the home run. You know, they are, they're getting it when they can. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that here's another hope is just to get on base, get that on base percentage up, work counts, make, make Yankees pitching work for it and, uh, and clean yourself up defensively. Um, but you know, it, it really comes down for me, uh, the pitching namely Cease and Kopech. Nick, I can't thank you enough for coming on our show today. It's been my absolute pleasure talking White Sox baseball with you. I could go for another two hours, <laughs> honestly, because it's just been so much fun. I enjoy it a lot. Do you want to promote any of your stuff for the fans watching at home? If you want to, before you head out of here. Absolutely. Uh, Vinny, thank you so much. Uh, th this was a treat. And you're right, man. We could we could go for hours here talking White Sox. Uh, yeah, you know, you can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore GGTB. And uh, I've got a couple very fan centric uh, Chicago White Sox podcasts. Do a weekly podcast uh, with my dear good friend, Pat Hester. Uh, good guys talk back. Uh, it's a weekly podcast. You can find it everywhere. And a uh, daily podcast, uh, Locked on White Sox. Uh, you can find us on Twitter as well, Locked on Socks. Both those podcasts everywhere you find your podcasts. 
Absolutely. That's so great. Everybody make sure you're following Nick. Once again, it's at Nick underscore GGTB. Listen to all his shows. Follow him on Twitter. I'm telling you guys. Just telling you. This is one of the greats on White Sox Twitter. Top three White Sox personality on Twitter. I'm number one, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Nick, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you, Vinny. Appreciate it, man. Of course. And everybody, we would like to send you to a quick commercial break. Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo. Join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. Thank you very much to Nick for coming on our show. That was an absolute pleasure. I love talking baseball with him. I've been on his podcast before. It's just a great conversation always. Very candid, very thoughtful. You know, sometimes he speaks so well that even I get flustered talking to him because he's just so good at this stuff. So I appreciate him very, very much. Make sure you check out all of his stuff. Now, we covered the White Sox a lot in this episode. Um, So, you know... I know it's an all Chicago plus MLB podcast, so we'll move on a little bit here. The White Sox, obviously, they'll have the Yankees, and then we'll see where it goes from there. And you can catch all the recap on the Sox again on Monday night when we do South Burbs Hidman. But last night I saw something that happened on the West Coast that really kind of caught my attention a little bit. The Chicago Cubs went to San Diego. The San Diego Padres, one of the very best teams in the National League, and took two out of three from them. And they took this third game in comeback fashion, and it was rather impressive. You know, they got good pitching. The hitting was timely. There was a warning track Frank Schwindel bomb that, or bomb to the warning track, I guess you could say, that kept them from sweeping the Padres. If that ball goes another five or six feet, they sweep the Padres. And that's a very good team that could find themselves in the World Series by the end of the year. So the only thing... That was interesting. I saw a stat. They were 4-14 and in between their two series wins. They took the first series of the season against the Milwaukee Brewers, and then they took this series against the San Diego Padres, and those are their only two series wins of the season, but they're hoping that they could keep it up going forward. And one thing I wanted to talk about really quick, there was a lot of conversation this week. I saw a friend of the program, Jesse Rogers, had an article on it. Um, yes, a W, Miss Caitlin. I know you're very happy about the Cubs taking a W, two out of three from the San Diego Padres. Um, <laughs> Saya Suzuki, he was off to a really good start to start his MLB career. Rookie of the week, player of the week, all, all these accolades that he was getting from his first couple games in the MLB. And it was quite impressive. And I, I think his mechanics are flawless. I love when he's in the batter's box. He's patiently aggressive. I know those are that kind of sounds weird. How can you be patient and aggressive? Saya Suzuki is. When the balls are not near the zone, he watches them go by. When they're in the zone, he's all over them. He very rarely takes a strike and he very rarely swings at a ball. And that's what I mean by he's patiently aggressive. He's fun to watch, but he struggled a little bit there for a while. You started to figure like, okay, there's some tape on him now against major league pitching. How do we attack him? So now it's time for him to adjust back. And I ultimately think he's going to. Um, He's a great player, and I I think he's going to be one of the forces in the Cubs lineup for a long time. One thing that intrigues me about their roster in general right now is Mr. Wilson Contreras. I think most Cubs people are starting to assume that he will not be on the team by August 1st. I don't know. I have no idea on that. Uh, Jesse Rogers thinks he's absolutely not going to be, and I know I talk about Jesse Rogers a lot when talking Cubs. I'm a fan of his work. Okay, he was on this podcast. He was very candid about his opinions on the Cubs, and he thinks Wilson Contreras is gone. And I can't say I blame him for thinking that. They haven't extended him up to this point, and all the history, Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, it all suggests that when the Cubs don't give guys contracts by the start of the season in their final deal, they trade them. And they would get pretty nice stuff for Wilson Contreras. I think it will depend on what part of the season that they actually, you know, make the move. But 
I don't know. Trading him would be probably tough on the fan base because then like the, the meat and potatoes of the core that won the World Series in 2016 is gone. I know Kyle Hendricks is still there, and I know Jason Hayward is still there. You're not getting rid of Jason Hayward because nobody would take his contract. And I, I do think they could move Kyle Hendricks. I would move Kyle Hendricks before he becomes Dallas Keuchel because in their prime, they're about the same pitcher, location, ground balls, need good defense behind me. Once the location isn't precise as it needs to be, he'll become like Dallas Keuchel where he's just walking guys or it becomes batting practice out there like Nick mentioned earlier when talking about Keuchel. So I think the situations are very similar, but the Cubs have the series win to hold their head up high going into the weekend. It should be exciting times over there on the north side. The weather's heating up, and I know there's another series coming up. I want to say it's two weeks from now when the Cubs will visit guaranteed rate field. So that's going to be – Pretty fun times for the city of Chicago, especially since the one at Wrigley. Yeah, the White Sox won two out of the two games, both games. That was nice, but it was also like not very fun to be in attendance. So hopefully these games at Guaranteed Rayfield are a little bit different weather-wise. Across Major League Baseball, we saw some outstanding stuff. One of my favorite teams to watch right now, I've been tuning in a little bit lately, has been the Los Angeles Angels. They had a no-hitter. Reed Detmers was on the mound, rookie, no-hitter, first of his career. It was an outstanding game. It had literally everything in it that you could possibly want to see. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout went back-to-back in the game. I believe it was the first time since 2019 that the two had gone back-to-back. Obviously, Shohei wasn't Shohei in 2020. He had the Tommy John. He wasn't quite the hitter that he was, and he certainly wasn't pitching. And then in 2021, when Shohei won the MVP, Trout missed most of the season. Now they're both healthy. The Angels are looking good. Got Detmers throwing no hitters. Uh, Shohei, I think in this game that they went back-to-back, he also had his first career grand slam, which was very cool to see. And then Anthony Rendon, they were winning so badly, 10 to nothing, that he went up into the batter's box against Brett Phillips, who's also a position player pitching. He bat lefty and hit a home run. It was unbelievable. If you're not watching this Angels team right now and you like baseball, I don't know what's wrong with you. And they're in first place. The two L.A. teams doing really good. Obviously, the Dodgers are interesting. The two New York teams are in first place as well. The Mets and the Yankees both looking really good. Obviously, the Yankees are in town this weekend to take on the Chicago White Sox. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think anything else going on around baseball. Man, are the Red Sox bad. Wow, are they bad. What is wrong with the Boston Red Sox? I mean, they just stink. They're pitching. They blow games late. Games they look like they should win, they lose. They had that nice win against the Atlanta Braves, who, speaking of the Braves, are the Braves trying to do what they did last year? Just look incredibly average for the first couple games of the season and then really figure it out and turn it on in June, July, August, ultimately lead to them winning the World Series? I think it's possible. Maybe not the World Series, but if the Yankees make a run towards the wild card, I don't think they're going to catch the Mets. They didn't have the Mets playing like they are now last year all they're gonna do is get jacob Degrom back at some point so you know the nl east is gonna be an interesting animal um as far as american league baseball detroit tigers they're bad too they only have like nine wins and i thought they would come in second place in the al central i thought that would be the team that challenges the white Sox the most um i am not sure that they're going to be able to come back and be that level of team once again. Um, I'm seeing in the chat that Thomas Gage is here. I didn't watch the Hawkeye season finale yesterday. I was watching sports. I know you're a Marvel hater. Sucks to be you. Um, so that's our show. It was a really good guest, Nick Morosky, this week. Um, I'm, I love talking to that guy. He's just so good at his baseball analysis. And the White Sox are getting ready for a big run here. I'm excited for what's going on in Major League Baseball. The races are really starting to heat up. The weather's starting to heat up. It's going to be a good time at the ballpark all summer long. So I'm excited to share it with everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Crosstown Crosstalk. Make sure you're following Nick Morosky on Twitter. It's at Nick underscore GGTB. And then, of course, I'm at Vinny Parisi on Twitter, at Vinny Parisi. Uh, Skyler in the chat saying, great show, Vinny. Thank you very much for listening to you. 
Um, Skylar, it was it's always nice to have you in the chat. I promise that a Cubs episode, um, every episode is for all MLB, but a Cubs-centered episode is coming at you soon. I haven't had one of those in a while. So I'm going to start reaching out to some folks and get that going soon for you guys. So everybody, thank you for listening. Make sure you always watch baseball. Make sure you always watch the Barroom Network. I'm telling you guys. Uh, I know Thomas Gage will be very happy to hear about the fact that our nerdy science fiction show last night was just outstanding. I love listening to those guys talk about Marvel and DC and all the great stuff that's out there that closed-minded people aren't going to appreciate. It sucks for you. Um, of course, football season's underway. The schedule is going to officially be released tonight for the National Football League, but you can pretty much see every team's leaked schedule. I saw the Bears are opening their season against the San Francisco 49ers and the Buffalo Bills. My my biggest takeaway is that the Week 16 game against the Buffalo Bills, they're just going to ruin my Christmas Eve. So, you know, the best team in the NFL hosting the Bears on what should be a fun holiday, yeah, not going to happen. They're going to make, uh, make me very, very sad, of course. So, and then of course, I'll be back Monday night talking White Sox with the South Burbs Hitmen next week, Wednesday. Very excited for a bar down. Hopefully, please, dear Jesus, let the Toronto Maple Leafs close out the series tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning or on Saturday against the at home against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Either way, just win the series, Leafs, please. I want to keep the mustache. I want to keep Joey and Frankie bowing down to the true sports master in the family. You know who it is. It's me. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got for everybody. I can't thank you enough for tuning in. This was a great episode. I'm very excited to share it with the world. Of course, we'll be back next week. Um, as always, let's go Sox. Thank you for listening.